This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to another episode of the 2023 Seaweed Spotlight. Thank you again to Seaweed for letting us do this this year. With very special guests on this episode from Jack Daniels. We got Chris Fletcher, the master distiller. Great guy, great conversation. We also have Byron Copeland. Longest title ever, Manager of Leadership, Acceleration, and Maturation Innovation. He has a very special, very important job. Yep. And uh, they pretty much, I think they're on tour right now, just traveling around, spreading the good word. That is Jack Daniels. Yeah. Uh, we get very in the weeds with uh, Jack Daniels' Lincoln County process, uh, the, the their overall process, uh, some of their history and legacy as a, as a distillery. Even some chemistry shows up in there. Yeah. So if you like whiskey, if you like Jack Daniels, we nerd out hard on this one, so you definitely don't want to miss it. And finally, I may or may not issue a public statement on whether the Lincoln County process makes it a whiskey, or if it's still legally a bourbon. <laughs> and we have a little in-house experiment to prove my point. And you'll find out on this episode whether or not that's true. And we're here, joined by special guest Chris Fletcher, head distiller, or fused, <laughs> master distiller of Jack Daniels, and Byron Copeland, manager of leadership, acceleration, and maturation innovation, which we're going to talk in depth about because I'm interested. But thank you guys for coming down. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. We're uh, we're doing the Seaweed Spotlight series. We're doing all these podcasts for Seaweed, and uh, one of the things that I was excited about from the get-go, without even knowing you guys were going to be here, was the Jack Daniels barrel that you're doing uh it's hundred dollars per ticket if you haven't bought one you're running out of time but they're doing only doing 500 tickets right yeah, i think so and the winner gets an entire barrel of jack daniels that's right whole single barrel so yeah go online there hit the website get all the information it's gonna be good i'm excited about it hopefully i win if i win i'll give you a bottle i don't know if you all have right, enough that's a deal <laughs> hey i'll take that deal <laughs> yeah. as well yeah i might get you two oh, yeah. bottles the other thing you're doing this weekend you have a whiskey tasting february 18th from 2 to 3 30 and that's sold out the vent, of course. Do you know what you guys are going to do for the tasting? I think we're still kind of putting the finishing touches on it, uh, but there'll, there'll probably be some single barrel stuff. There'll be some of our bottle and bond things, um, you know, some unique stuff that maybe not everybody's had the chance to try yet. Uh, I think most people are pretty familiar with the classic Jack Daniels, so we'll we'll probably have a few different things that maybe you know be a little bit of a, a surprise for people. Cool. So, what's it like being in charge of the place that everyone has a Jack Daniels story? I mean, it's fun, you know. I, you know, I grew up in Lynchburg, so you know, it's it's just kind of normal, I guess. You know, for me as a kid that grew up there and was around the distillery, you know, from a very young age. So, it you know, it's the place where most people work, and and everybody has a connection really to the distillery in some way or the other. Um, and I was no different. And you know, it's um, it's an it's an amazing thing to be in this role for sure. I've been in the industry now for about 20 years, a little over 20 years in total. And, uh, was, I've been able to work at, you know, 
different distilleries um, with both within our company and then outside the company as well. And, um, you know, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of great people, you know, across my career. So, um, but as a whiskey maker, you know, if that's, if that's what you want to do and as a distiller, you know, that's, that's what I want to do. Um, you know, what we're able to do at Jack Daniels is, you know, that's, that's sort of the pinnacle, you know, what we can control and, um, you know, from making our own barrels and Byron's got tons of history there to Cooperage and, um, you know, all the way through in our process and how we make our whiskey. Um, so that, you know, to me, that's the most important thing. How do we turn grain into whiskey and get it in a bottle? Absolutely. Gus, if you can grab that, uh, the short single barrel bottle there, the gold label. And then Byron, what's your first Jack Daniel story? Oh, like anybody else, uh, I'm from the South and, you know, some of these wives tales that my grandparents and mothers used to, you know, uh, think about and talk about. I remember being in my grandmother's house and, well, I probably can't remember this. So when you're teething, guess what? Uh-huh. So you get a little Jack Daniels or you get some whiskey and you rub it on the gums of the kids. And oh, yeah. So that's probably my first experience with it. Uh, but, you know, my grandmother was in Birmingham. So I grew up kind of in Fairfield, Alabama. Um, my grandmother was a bootlegger in a sense. And when I say bootlegger, everybody came to my grandmother's house in the neighborhood. And I can remember um, Jack Daniels sitting on the counter, sitting there, and she was selling, it's probably illegal, but selling dollar shots. (laughs) 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 Dollar shots back in the 80s. I can remember this like it was yesterday, you know, and uh, just having that Jack Daniels there. And me and my cousins probably sneaking some more than what we should um, when we were kids, but um, that's my first story. And, um, after that, coming to the whiskey industry, making these barrels at Jack Daniels Cooperage, very cool job, very hard job. So I see you have these barrels here and, uh, you guys make things from there, but making that barrel is, yeah, we're going to say it's a key ingredient, but it's very tough, uh, very strenuous work. So, um, that's my experience. And well, we are, we are huge fans of the Cooper Cooperage and that whole, you know, process we talk a lot about a lot of people get focused on the end product which is of course important but we are generally like genuinely fascinated by like from grain to going in the barrel uh that whole process and we had an opportunity to go check out the brown form and cooperage and and see firsthand that process and watch it go from you know uh, bringing wood from outside you know seasoning Mm -hmm. go through you know the the char process and uh it was I could have stayed there all day. I mean, it was it was really fascinating. It was a highlight. What's your first Jack Daniels story? My old man. Uh, my dad grew up, if it wasn't a bottle of Jack Daniels, it was a bottle of Jim Beam. Um, it's one of the two. Whatever was probably cheaper at the time. And uh, I actually, um, th- that that's just recognizing it. And then when I was, I think it was six, um, we, my dad and I went on a road trip, uh, just he and I, and uh, he was stationed in Missouri. That's where we met, actually. And uh, we drove down to, to, to Tennessee and, and went to the distillery and, and got to see the facility. I was little. Cool. Uh, I remember very little, very small, you know, small parts of it. But, uh, yeah, that my, first, that my first big memory was actually going to the distillery with my dad. So He has an actual picture of that, but he couldn't find it. I cannot find it. it to save my life. It's in a box <laughs> somewhere. My dad passed away, and he had that that and other photos, and I don't. they're in a box somewhere I can't find. So one day I'll find it. We'll, we'll have to post it. My first whiskey experience was wild turkey because uh, it's what my friend's dad drank but once i was able to buy jack daniels old number seven was just the thing you had to get it and uh so i brought in just to show you i bought this in 2013 and i wanted to brag for a second here about my invitation all right to a uh to a select club so i bought this before i went to afghanistan this is the last ball i drank um and this is the honor of frank sinatra obviously uh, exclusive membership at Jack Daniels Country Club. So I'm a Jack Daniels Country Club member. That's right, man. <laughs> we'll send you. We'll send you your dues. Your dues CEO. <laughs> I've got to be out of date by now for sure. If you were a squire, you can have a piece of property too. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah. That's what I've heard. <laughs> Pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In Scotland, right? You can just buy land in Scotland now. I think. No, maybe. No. Got to do it the right way. But yeah, I drank this bottle before I went to Afghanistan and. uh this is the most expensive bottle of whiskey I've ever had at that time in my life. And um, Jack Daniels on the Rocks was my drink. It always has been. I haven't had a regular bottle of Jack Daniels in quite some time. However, if I go out, I will usually get Jack on the Rocks. That's just what I like. Yeah, me too. I'm a, I'm a Rocks guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it unless we're drinking something like this. And for me, the banana on mm-hmm. this is nuts. Yeah. 
yeah, it's part, you know, you talk about the process and, you know, there's a lot, a lot of things, you know, that I like to talk about process, but you know, that we, you know, we want people to know about how we make our whiskey. There's no secrets. Um, you know, there's really nothing in my opinion that should be proprietary about something that you're going to buy and put in your body. For so, sure. I think that, I think the consumer deserves to know everything that goes into it, how we do it, why we do it that way. Um, and so uh, obviously we, we ask and remind our friends to enjoy our product responsibly, but, um, <clears throat> for sure, you know, taking grain at, you know, this Tennessee whiskey or our bourbon grain bill, 80% corn, 12% malt, malted barley, 8% rye. Um, that, that's the classic Jack Daniels recipe. So old number seven, our single barrel, mm-hmm. our, our new bottle of bonds, you know, that's out. Um, but this, this, you know, barrel proof is just concentrating all that, right? So you're just getting it literally right out of the barrel into the bottle. It just goes through a filter pad and straight into the bottle. That's it. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. I like that it's, they're all a little different, but I have found that the 132 area, I have another one up there somewhere, has been my favorite just because of the concentration of flavors and the, the tannins are just enough to give you that weird tingle, but not over oaked, you know? Mm-hmm. But the flavor profile on it is crazy, which is, one of the things that we bring up in our classes is one of the bottles that we they're usually towards the end because normally people can't drink high proof like that. But uh, C7H1402, it's the chemical compound for the smell of banana. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you're not actually smelling a banana. You're smelling something that the wood created with the complexity of everything that went into the dis- to the distillate. And to me, it's just it's fantastic. Yeah, isoamyl acetate. Mm-hmm. Isoamyl acetate. Uh, yep. Is the ester that creates that. There's, a lot, there's, there's hundreds of organics in whiskey. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the things that happen during fermentation, you know, the yeast is not only making ethanol, it's also making other alcohols. There's other things and there's a lot of, of natural acid that's being produced as well. And so an, an acid and an alcohol will react together and form an ester. Uh, and so these things, they do get, you know, distilled <coughs> over into the whiskey as well. Not all of them, but a, a, a good number of them, obviously. And then when it sits in that barrel, you're right. You, you, you continue to get these slow reactions that happen over time, these oxidations, reductions, esterifications, and things that are going to lead to the complexity and those different yeah. aromas and flavors that you get. So, And your background is in kind of the chemistry stuff. That's That, that was your yeah, college I, experience? Yes, I'm a chemist. Right. Yes. And so I have a question. When... Uh, yeah. If you take a bottle, because everybody talks about neck pours. However, if you turn a bottle upside down, like where'd the neck pour go? It's now in the bottom. So we, we tell everybody there's no such thing. Don't look at it. But things do air out over time. Mm-hmm. How long will it take for the whiskey to oxidize in a bottle that's, say, half empty? I mean, it's going to slowly oxidize. There's nothing you can to stop it. So, it's, you know, it's going to start slowly working itself that way. The thing with high, high proof alcohol, you know, unlike wine, mm-hmm. um, you know, the intensity of it and the concentration of it, you know, it's going to slowly happen, you know, instead of degrading the, the yeah. character of the wine very quickly, it takes a long time with whiskey. And in fact, oxidation can, in my opinion, be a good thing. Um, you know, I think too, even in the bottle, you know, whiskey will slowly change over time. I mean, oh, it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't age in the bottle. That's not what I right, mean. Right, right. Sure. But I do think, it, you know, um, the guy I used to work with, you know, used to call it being glassy. Uh, it was his term for it. It sits in the glass for a while. And, and it, you, you, you get oxidation. You certainly get, you know, probably a little evaporation. Certainly these corks are not perfect. Even a screw cap is not perfect. Sure. Um, so you get a little air in there. It breathes a little bit. You probably lose tiny, tiny amount of alcohol. It probably drops a, a bit in proof. Um, and, and so all these things, I, I think it does kind of give a little more of an impression of a sweeter note after it sits in there. And it, it's really probably just the the whiskey and the intensity of the alcohol calming down over yeah. time, I think. So. But it's over time is, is not like people don't need to rush to, to finish a bottle in a month. It takes years no. for this process. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Unless, unless you're storing it in an intense light, right. Yeah. Sunlight's yeah. terrible for it. You know, that will literally, you know, the UV rays will literally, you know, kind of bleach out the color of the whiskey. And of course that color is barrel. Sure. Which means that is then that color is also a lot of the flavor. The flavor, right? right? So, um, so that is not good. You know, uh, you know, really hot temperatures probably wouldn't be great either, um, and even super cold temperatures wouldn't be good either. You, you start to mess with the solubility of it. Um, you know, you can get whiskey flock that occurs if it gets you know exposed to you know sub zero, you know, freezing temperatures. It can, it can really start to do yeah, kind of a wispy, powdery looking substance that floats yeah, okay. around in there. there. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's called flocking. Um, you know, the beer folks have a form of flock as well. It's completely different. It's proteins and things like that. There's obviously no protein in distilled yeah. spirit, straight distilled spirits. Um, but you do get, if you think about the solubility of what's going on in that barrel, um, this is 132 proof. 
right? So yeah. over 60% alcohol. Well, you know, an average bottle, if it's 80 proof, 90 proof, whatever, now you're 40%, 45%. There's more water in that bottle than, than whiskey. Yeah. So you've changed the, the chemical solubility. And then when you hit it with really cold temperatures, right, what happens is it starts to, you know, all these kind of, you know, flavors and mouthfeel and all these dissolved solids start to come back out of solution. You guys from the South, you like sweet tea. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> you add the sugar when it's hot or cold. When it's hot. When it's, when it's hot. hot. Yeah. That's right. Right? And so it's kind of the same thing, right? As as the whiskey absorbs a lot of and extracts a lot of those things from the barrel when it's hot, yeah. when you uh-huh. hit it with really cold temperatures and then you change the liquid composition with water, right? now you have a recipe that could potentially form flock. Now, flock's not harmful at all. It's just you see little floaties maybe sure. you know, sure. around in the bottle, and it's not something that we want. Um, and so people do different things to try to prevent it. Um, some people choose fi- chill filtration mm-hmm. exactly for that reason, to force the flock out and then filter it out. I see. Um, we don't. Um, we hardly chill filter anything at Jack Daniels. Um, very, very small percentage of what we do. Um, so it's just, But that's just our decision. I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. It's just the way that yeah, we yeah. choose to filter the whiskey. So I personally like the mouthfeel of a non-chill filter. It seems to be thicker usually. And mm-hmm. it's... Um, it's, it's I, that's one of the things I look for on a label. I don't really chase brand names or anything like that. I'll look and see what's in this. What, is this something I'm going to want to drink? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what we teach in our classes too. Like I was going to say it's learn how to read a label because that's, that's going to tell you more than any internet forum or blog post or video mm-hmm. on YouTube is going to tell you. It's, it's, they're going to tell you what their profile is. Everybody's taste and profile is different, but I wanted to talk <laughs> one thing on technicality and only because go ahead. I have to, I just have to. And okay. I'm and nervous. Gonna be, yeah, but yeah, we're nervous on this. But this it's a political debate. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do All it. Right. <laughs> so it is a debate, though. It's a debate, and it's one that you, if anyone could speak to, it's yeah, going to be like, you. I feel like the final word. And I'm not here to prove you wrong. I'm here to state a case, <laughs> and then you can tell me what's the what's the fact, and I will lay down, okay? And I'm on team. It's not a bourbon. Okay, and I'm going to explain why. And okay. to me, this is important. It may not be important to y'all, but I'm going to explain why. So in the rules of bourbon, this is my two-scale model of uh, a Jack Daniels charcoal filtering <laughs> process mm-hmm. to scale, as you can see here. So I actually had sugar maple lit on fire with white dog so that there was no, uh, mm-hmm. just as y'all mm-hmm. do it, just so there was no um, additional fluids added. I don't know if I'd say just as we do it, oh, yeah. but you did a good job. <laughs> I try to duplicate it in a good way, you know. So I had no idea that this was happening. So yeah, I didn't is, tell anybody. This is a treat for everyone. We don't use Ziplocs, but yeah, yeah, sorry. But it's it's pretty. And I'm not going to make you drink this. But as I stated before, I happen to know somebody personally that makes moonshine. So I don't know what all white dog t- tastes like, but I know what this tastes like. I've been drinking it for a long time. So the rules of bourbon state: you cannot add any mm-hmm. flavoring or any coloring. So mm-hmm. the the Lincoln County process, you run it through, and it's a reductive process which pulls out harsh chemicals. You guys call it mellowing. Mm-hmm. However, I see color in that, which would be an addition of color. Mm-hmm. And if I smell it, I smell sugar maple. Yeah. Your, so your charcoal is not quite charcoal. You still got a little bit of raw wood in there. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah. So I, possible. So I was watching a, a documentary on this process specifically, oh, and the 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 timing. The timing of that is really important, right? Yes, yeah. Otherwise, you just end up with either wet wood or ash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want yeah. to compare. <clears throat> think think of it like this. Um, Your charcoal is probably different. Than, than well, uh, you know, our charcoal is is almost essentially pure carbon. So if you ever use a brittle water filter at home, yeah, yeah, run your water through it, guess what's inside charcoal? Right. Yeah. Does that add flavor and color to your water? Maybe not no. in a process state, but what if it's a fresh <laughs> dump of charcoal? Fresh dump. And it's still got a little bit of granules in it. Oh, yeah. We blow that through. We catch where that the heads and tails cuts. Yeah. And that'll go back and get redistilled. So it doesn't ever enter the barrel. No. That'll be caught. That'll be the heads cut. So we'll, right. we'll, we'll start to flow with some water and then bring whiskey on. Um, and you will, you, you'll literally push a little bit of ash that's just residually yeah. left in that charcoal, right? So you'll push that out and you'll catch that and that'll all be pumped back into our beer well and go back through the still. So what about just the name itself? Just being proud of being Tennessee whiskey. It's not a bourbon. How about yeah, that? That's, I mean, that, that you, that's it. Um, exactly. I mean, Bur- or Byron, you can jump in as well. Um, yeah, our product is bourbon hundred percent. I mean, go 
Tell me that's not. Prove it. Oh, I know. I just. I like it. I like it. I want it to be Tennessee whiskey. Your experiment is awesome. I wish people could see it. This conversation is just. Just to be fair, this conversation is more for our listeners and some of the people on our pick because this this debate is just. I have it often. It goes on. I'm on team Tennessee whiskey. Stop. Because because that's what that's what your thing. That's your thing. The Lincoln County process. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. 100% I agree, and I was just having fun with you. Okay. You know? oh, but, so. but Chris also says that it can be bourbon as well. Mm-hmm. We just yes. call it Tennessee whiskey mm-hmm. because of that process. So it can be both. Yeah, we were actually yeah. in the uh, we were in the executive bourbon steward class, and there was, um, do you know which distillery she was from? I don't believe it was Jack Daniels. It was in, I don't remember. How many Tennessee whiskeys are there? I mean. Deckel. Uh, there's several now Maybe across the state. There's probably I half a it, dozen at least. I think, I think she was from Dickel. from Dickel, but I, I, at mm-hmm. one point the the debate was going on, and she was like, "We're Tennessee whiskey. We don't want you to call us bourbon. Yeah. You can debate it all you want, but we're proud about you know what what we yeah. are." Anyways, that struck a hardcore with me. I so think, when people say it's bourbon, I go, "No, it's not," and yeah. I argue it. Well, I think there was a a brand out there that just recently put out a labeled bourbon from their distillery oh, yeah. there, okay. there in Tennessee that you just mentioned. Y'all yeah. do it in exports. Uh, no, not this labeled as bourbon. Mm-mm. Then the guy that told me that is a liar. Yeah, they're lying. You're not going to see it on our label. Um, but all we have to do is change our label. We're, we we yeah. can 100% legally label our product bourbon any day of the week. It only, it only matters to people who. Yeah, it doesn't it, matter. At the end of the day, argument. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. You, can, you mean, can call it whatever you want. As long as it tastes good, that's, that's what I care about. Yeah. You know, for us, I mean, if you, if you know our before and after whiskey and, um, had I known you guys were this interested, we should have we should have brought yeah, some out. Um, but we actually do that in some of our tastings at the distillery. So oh, you yeah? can taste the before and after. Cool. And you can see they're both crystal clear, completely clear as water. Sweet. Interesting. And there's no addition. Um, there's no additive there. Um, you know, we can measure that exactly. There's no change on proof. The ABV stays the same. Um, you know, there are things, obviously, that are reduced and pulled out. I believe most of it is, is oil from the grains. Okay. Um, it's not at a level that we can even detect it analytically in the lab. Um, so you're looking at probably part per trillion type of levels. Oh, wow. Um, but you, when I nose our new make whiskey off the still, mm-hmm. a very heavy sweet corn, cooked corn note, 80% corn grain bill, right? That's yeah. Very normal. So you would you would assume your average bottle of Jack off the shelf, you know, four to five years old, mm-hmm. would still have a lot of that heavy sweet cooked corn note. A lot of these, a lot of these great bourbons and, you know, it, it's not, it's not an, I can't remember what word you use, impurity or harsh note or something. It's not that, right, at all. It's just not what we want in our end product flavor profile. Sure. And you get very little sweet corn on a bottle of Jack. You get the big fruit notes that pop, mm-hmm. right? Well, those big fruit notes are there in the new make whiskey, a lot of them. Yeah. Right? It's just you have so much of the cereal grain flavor that's so heavy, it suppresses that. Gotcha. So when you put it through that charcoal, and it, and it blows through that charcoal in about a day, about 24 hours, it's through, 10 feet, right? Oh. So when it, when it comes out, you know, you've, you've lifted those heavier, oilier, grainy notes, uh-huh. and you really get the pop of that apple, you know, green pear, apricot, banana peel. Yeah. You know, you get those esters that the, really start to apple jump. And, the apple and the pear are always big for me. On, me too. On these, yeah, I get those a lot. Mm-hmm. I read that it was a gallon per minute. Is that true? That seems really it's slow. about right. Yeah, yeah. drip through. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you guys have <laughs> more than, obviously, you have several of these filtration tanks. We do, yeah. So at the uh, at the main distillery that we have seventy two, okay. Then we got about another dozen up at our expanded distillery that's over the hill, kind of on the backside. We kind of ran out of room there in the hollow, <laughs> yeah. so we added two stills, about a dozen melting um, vats, about a dozen fermenters, so, and that came online six Damn. years ago, seven years. ago? I don't know. Pre COVID, yeah. COVID brain, I don't know. Should I make a public apology that it is bourbon, or can I keep calling it Tennessee whiskey? Well, I'm a, I'm a uh, say this. I think your experiment was good, but you, I think it didn't it didn't meet your expectations. No, it didn't. <laughs> I, think I, I never thought it would fail. So, yeah. but it, but it was. I mean, you tried. Yeah, but I it tried. doesn't come out like this. Okay. And to Chris's point, if it does, then it's going to our heads and tails tank, and we're going to yeah. re- redistill it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't. It's gotcha. not an additive. Gotcha. Yeah, it'll take yeah. probably three or four days for a vat to come into service after we've started flow. Okay. Wow. Just to flush the ash out of it, you know, basically. Interesting. And then okay. There's a little bit of water in there as well. Um, and so it, it, that, that does, then obviously water does drop to proof. Yeah, yeah. Um, so until we get it back up to that 140 proof, sure. all of that is, is captured and brought out into the head's cut, right? And then when we take a vat out of service, mm-hmm. so charcoal lasts about up to a year, you know, of, of oh, wow. flow in a vat, six months to a year. 
first thing we want to do then is to get all the whiskey we can out of that charcoal and mm-hmm. we, we flush it again for a couple of days rinse with water and we'll let it sit two or three times and then flush all that water out so then again you've got low proof whiskey again mm-hmm. that'll be the tails cut got right it. and so yeah, that yeah. all gets redistilled it gets pumped back to the distillery mm-hmm. into our beer well where it'll get mixed in with the fermented mash the beer and then it'll come back through and go through another vat at some point so okay Wow. Fascinating. I didn't know he did all of that. So have with that in mind. Have you been there? You <laughs> virtually been? and spiritually. Right, you got to come down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you need to come. Yeah, yeah, we'll take you around. All right. That'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah, we we'd, a, we'd love to. Kentucky a lot, but it's Tennessee's on the way, so. Yeah. Kind of. Absolutely, man. You should you should stop by. Um, you know, we'd love to show you everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I think, you know, obviously we're, we're an open book. We want you to know exactly how we do everything. Yeah. So. That's that's cool. That's, you know, to be to be fair, it's, um, that's comp. We see that more common than not. Like the distilleries and places we've been to, um, you know, they're, this is what we do. This is why we do it this way. And maybe it's different than somewhere else down the street. Like, you know, yeah. in, uh, you know, in, in Louisville, it's, you know, there's a distillery around every corner, it seems like, and they're, they're mm-hmm. all trying to do something a little bit different, but everybody is super, uh, super nice, super willing to talk to you about the process and what they do. And like you said, um, there's no reason this stuff should, should be proprietary. Like if people are buying it to put in their body, they should understand the process um, that's why we like bourbon. And one of the things we say about in terms of health, like bourbon is one of the healthiest <laughs> things you can drink just because of it's all natural. It's all natural, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the ingredients that go into it, the process itself. Um, that's, that's why I don't know. We love it. We, we love the nerdy technical stuff too. So, um, don't ever, if, if there's something you want to get into about any of the process, do not, uh, yeah. don't hold anything back. We, we really enjoy it. Yeah. We care. Like we said before, we care more about the, before the, before you put it in a bottle, you know, like it's, I know what it's like after the bottle, but I want to know how right? you got there. I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Oh, I, did, I, I do too. I mean, I think that's some of my favorite thing. Byron knows this. Um, you know, my favorite thing to do is to talk about how we make our whiskey um, because most people from the outside would think, you know, with a brand and we've been very successful, you know, Jack Daniels is, is the largest brand in American whiskey. So they would just assume that, you know, the process would be proprietary, sure. secretive, you know, and it's just like, you know, we're cutting all the corners. Um, actually, in my opinion, we uphold the most traditional method in the industry that I've seen, that I've been a part of. Okay. Um, and we're very proud of that process and everybody does their own thing and it's great. And, you know, this is very much a gentleman's industry and I've got great fans, friends making great whiskey at a lot of places. Um, but for us, it's all about, you know, that grain bill, 80, 12, eight, our rye whiskey is 70, 12, 18. Um, we're doing our malt whiskey now that's a hundred percent malt. Um, so, you know, just with the grain bills right there, um, you know, you notice that a minimum 12% malted barley in any grain bill we do. Uh-huh. That's because we only utilize malted barley to convert during mashing from the starch uh-huh. to fermentable sugar, right? Sorry. So every every bourbon is basically corn, mostly, right? right? At least 51% uh-huh. uh, converted into alcohol. Well, how do you convert corn into alcohol? First thing you got to do is grind it up in the meal. Uh-huh. Second thing you do is you have to cook it in water to gelatinize the starches. The problem is from that point, you can cook it as long as you want to possibly cook it. You could cook it for a year, man, in water and it's hot and jet cookers and pressure cook. Uh-huh. Guess what? Starch does not dissolve in water. And if you're not dissolving it, it's not fermentable. Right, it's too large of a molecule, so you have to break that down. Um, we only use malted barley to do that. Interesting, right? Which is obviously the traditional way of doing it. Back in the day, you had to have done it that way. Now today, with labs and biotech companies, you can buy these enzymes that have been harvested and engineered uh-huh. to rip through starch and break it down to its smallest, tiny little single sugar, which is called glucose. Uh-huh. That's the smallest form of the sugar. Right. Although the malted barley grain goes much slower. And it doesn't break down mostly to glucose. It actually only breaks it down to maltose, which is the double sugar, right? Two glucose units still stuck together. Yeah. So our fermenters, our yeast, when it's fermenting and making our product and making a load of our flavor, mm-hmm. as we've talked about, is actually fermenting mostly maltose, mm. right? And so we know traditionally that's certainly the way it's been done in Lynchburg. So that's that's good enough for me, right? Sure. But secondly... That, that fermentation is going to go a lot longer. You know, our fermenters will go a week. We can do seven-day fermentations. Wow. wow. It goes low and slow. Uh, we certainly believe in the character and the flavor expression that our yeast creates in fermentation. In my opinion, the yeast is the number two source of flavor, only behind the barrel. Uh-huh. You're welcome, Byron. He'll argue with me <laughs> yeah. 70%, yeah. 80%, whatever. I've heard 90. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, well, I'll stop to be at a Cooperage guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll stop at 70 because what goes in has to be good, right? That's true. Yeah. Shit in, shit out. That's what they say. Yeah. 
So, you know, to us, that's a very, that's a very big deal. Um, you know, you're relying only on the malted barley to yeah. break down the starches to fermentables. That's why I, I'll say this. I think you should come down and you would see that historical process and you would see that yeast that we've been using since prohibition, uh, 1938. So you come down, a lot of people don't understand that. Even when I tell my friends, I'm like, man, just come to Jack Daniels and you will see a traditional process. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we're continuing to try to share. You're going to, you know, it's a lot of people going to talk about, hey, we have these smaller distilleries. We're more craft. But I will tell you, you come to Jack Daniels, you're really going to see a craft process. And it's nothing. It's nothing. We're not throwing anything in there. To his point, the enzymes are liberating that sugar. I mean, this is this is state of the art. But it's at, it's at a large process. It's a larger process. So that's why people are like, no, nah, it can't be craft. But I will implore you, if you want to come, you'll see a real craft process. As Frank Sinatra said, it's the nectar yeah. of the gods. So I'm, uh, <laughs> it's craft. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the yeast is, is another thing. After we, we mash, then the yeast is added. Um, I know there's a lot of secrets around yeast, right? Proprietary sure. secret stuff. Um, ours, we certainly don't share with any other distillery. But if you come to... Jack Daniels, you can meet Janessa, our microbiologist. She is growing from our old jug yeast culture. We have purified our production yeast strain. It dates back to 1938, just like Byron said. We have a person with her own hands that are literally growing this from a 100-milliliter flask, right? Every week she's coming in and she's growing it up to a 1-liter, then the big 9-liter jugs, bringing it in fresh every single week and inoculating it into our yeast mash. So there's, a, there's two mashes the traditionally you have to make at a distillery. You got to make the mash that you're going to ferment with your yeast. Mm -hmm. And then how do you keep your yeast alive traditionally? Back in the day when Jack Daniel and <clears throat> Nearest Green were running around, well, you took a little bit of your water and your grain to make some food for your yeast and you put your yeast in it to keep it alive, right? Keep it someplace cool. We do the same thing yeah. exactly today, just on a better scale in a lab, right? And when my granddad started working there in 1957, they did keep it in the creek to keep it cold, but we don't do that anymore. We got a lab and, and a microbiologist, but we're actually, we need 1,700 gallons for yeast for one fermentation. Wow. So we have to create a different mash stream called yeast mash. We use only barley and rye, same cave spring water, and that's what we use to, to give the yeast food to grow to that size. So creating a natural yeast mash that way. Um, we're souring that with our mm -hmm. own lactobacillus bacteria strain. Again, Back in the day when my granddad was there, they would take a five-gallon bucket, scoop out a little yeast mash. they put it over in the corner and just let it sit for four or five days and just let it rot. And, you know, naturally, bacteria, mold, whatever, sure. would do its thing, and then they would pitch it into the next yeast mash that they would make four or five days later. Yeah. Well, again, our microbiologist back in the back in the 70s and 80s started sampling that bucket, and we've got our own pure strain of lactobacillus bacteria. No kidding. I know it sounds kind of wild, but if you eat yogurt, yeah, buttermilk, yeah, yeah. these live cultures, same type of bacteria. That's actually a good bacteria. It makes lactic acid naturally. Right. So mm -hmm. that lactic acid naturally sours our yeast mash. That's what we do after we cook the, the rye and the malt up together. We add the lactobacillus. It makes lactic acid. We sour it naturally with that bacteria. And then we'll turn the heat back on and we'll pasteurize the mix. Then we'll bring sense. the yeast in to let it grow in this now soured or acidified environment as yeast mash. That will then get combined in the fermenter with the whiskey mash, which, of course, is the full corn, rye, and malted barley yeah. recipe. So that's what proprietary yeast means at Jack Daniels. That's fascinating. It's a... Uh it's like nobody ever talks about the yeast side of it. You hear people go and get wild yeast and stuff like that, but usually it's like, oh, no, we got a plastic jug in the back and you can't look at it. But <laughs> it's wild that uh, – it's crazy to think that, that most people don't know that part of it, that there's actual yeah. chemistry involved inside of it. And it, the whole thing is really chemistry, but the fact that you have people employed to maintain these yeast strains that have been around since, mm -hmm. you said, 38? Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. We, when, don't, when we don't have any records pre-prohibition <clears throat> on yeast, so we can't. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's it's even more fascinating to me the fact that so much of this originally back during prohibition and before then was done without a lab, without a microbiologist or someone to, to note and annotate and, and keep things super consistent. It was all done by waiting, patience, and taste and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then handing that knowledge down one generation after another. Um, we spoke with a gentleman from Neely Family Distilleries, and that's how he goes and he gets wild um, yeast. Yeah, sorry, I was I thought I was gonna burp or hiccup there. <laughs> um, yeah, wild yeast from blueberry, uh, blueberries, yeah, blueberry bushes, uh, or blackberry bushes, one of the two, and uh, and that's what he that's what he you know he brings back to the uh, 
because of the type of yeast that's attracted to the sugars in the blueberry. It's mm-hmm. like that's the, they found that that works best with their mash. Yeah, but he was and he he was cool. talking about learning that from his his grandpa, right? And and yeah. and you know the the small still in the woods, you know, in, in the mountains, uh, and bring that to, back to, to to their family distillery that they have now, and try and trying to continue that process at scale. But uh, yeah, that's that's. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, we certainly, I mean, that's how we think it probably originated in Lynchburg too. We, we, prohibition lasted about 30 years in Lynchburg. We didn't, we didn't have any medicinal license or anything. So we don't have any record. You know, we would certainly assume at some point it came from the area, from the Lynchburg area, the distillery. That makes sense. Yeah. And was just, you know, people knew repetition, right? My my granddad had started, started working there in 1957, which is right when it exploded, right? When Sinatra adopted the brand. And they, you know, they quickly went to 24-7 operation. You know, he went from mashing 700 bushels a day when he started in 57. He retired in 89, mashing 13, 14,000 bushels a day. Holy cow. Um, so unbelievable growth, all while maintaining the flavor of the product. Um, but, you know, he would describe it. You know, I can remember him saying, it's like, you know, it's like baking a cake. You got one recipe. You follow it. You don't ever change it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he would say. Um, so, you know, he and, and and the team that were, you know, with him back in the day, man, we just, we owe so much of our success to them. Because if you think about it, if you back up post-prohibition, our friend, some of our friends in Kentucky were making whiskey through prohibition. Most that didn't came back in 1933 when the federal repeal of prohibition occurred. Mm-hmm. Tennessee didn't repeal it until May of 1937, right, as a state. That's we right. didn't get it uh, back up and running for about a year and a half after that, November of 1938. So we were the smallest whiskey on the planet yeah. in November of 1938, starting to make whiskey again. Wow. There's a reason you're number one today. Right. You th- if you think about it, it was at old number seven, Jack Daniels, was allocated from the 1950s until almost 1980. Think about that. Just standard blackjack, old number seven. Allocated. No kidding. Yeah. If they could see you today. Right. What's it like to sit at your grandpa's desk? It's it's cool, man. It's really special. Uh, we lost my granddad right before COVID hit in January of 2020, uh, which is a, a blessing in a lot of ways. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, you do kind of take it for granted when you walk in that office every day until you walk in it one day and you can't call him, you know. so Yeah, for sure. And he was, uh, man, he will forever be my ultimate expression of a distiller. Yeah. You know, my mom tells stories that – on Christmas Day, when she was a little girl, they would wake up. My granddad would be at the distillery running the still on Christmas morning. You sure. Know, he'd come home. He'd go in at 4.30, come home, kind of open gifts with my mom and her sister, and then go back and finish out the day That's at the sure. still house. Um, so, you know, you think about that and, and what, you know, like I said earlier, what he and and, and the, the, the team in the distillery did during that time of incredible growth of the brand. Um but maintaining the quality and the consistency of it and the pro- and the integrity of the process. All right. There's a reason that we can sit here and talk about this is why we only use malted barley. And we know now we can measure in the lab, the maltose and the glucose. And sure. we can see, we can prove that fermentation runs differently because we are using this natural form of enzyme. We're not adding anything extra to it. You know, yeah. we know the flavor of our, the, the yeast, heck the yeast makes the daggone whiskey. Right. Pretty important. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, we're not going to share it with anybody, but I want to tell you all about it and come to the distillery. Sure. You know, we'll, we'll bring in the lab. You can say, oh, you take a drink of the yeast if you want to. I'll do it. I'll 100% so, do that. I've done it. It is, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is It is critical um, to any distilled spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't, a lot of people don't talk about it, um, but a lot of people don't maintain a lot of those really super traditional aspects of, right. of whiskey making. Because it's a lot cheaper to throw enzyme in there sure. that's been concentrated that you're ordering from a chemical company rather than buying barley that's been grown in Montana and Colorado and steeped and germinated and dried and shipped to Lynchburg. You know, that's, that's a little more expensive, a little sure. more labor intensive. Um, so we could save millions by, by adding enzyme and just relying on that. But yeah. we choose not to because, frankly, that's not the way my granddad made whiskey. That's awesome. That's all the reason you need, I think. So, Byron, how do you work with Chris in a professional setting? Oh, good question. So um, I am the uh, manager of maturation innovation. But besides that, I also work alongside Chris doing these things that we're doing now, traveling, telling everybody about our great product that we have. Um, Day to day, me and him are sharing ideas. I also work alongside Lexi as well. Um, So 
when you ask what do I do, we're doing exactly yeah. what what I do. On <laughs> Perfect. Our, yeah. He's we're just doing, being nice because so. I'm sitting here. Yeah. But <laughs> I try to – well, he always says that I'm being modest, but you know, I, I, that's who I am as a person. But um, but that is day-to-day. So we do a lot in innovation. Um, I'm a master taster as well. Chris is a master taster. Um, just I, – I don't know. So every day is something different. Um, but that's what I do. That's our working relationship. He, I'm actually on his team. Nice. So. Mm-hmm. How about acceleration and maturation? <clears throat> what is that? So the acceler- So let me let me start out. So um, the nearest and Jack Advancement Initiative. So I'll tell you a little bit about my career. So I started out making those barrels um, right behind you. So at Jack Daniels Cooperage, made the barrels for five years. About 2020, nearest. Uncle Nearest Distillery and Jack Daniels Distillery came together and said, hey, we're going to help promote diversity in the whiskey industry. Guess who was the first one for the Leadership Acceleration Program? So they selected me. Uh, Chris always says I'm being modest, but it was a lot of hard work that went into that. Sure. Um, Making that barrel, being over every different uh, area, every different position in that plant, Um, working hard, pushing out seven, 800 barrels, got an opportunity to apply for that leadership acceleration program. They selected me. Funny story. Chris's old boss, they called me and I'm thinking, Hey, uh, this is just going to be a letdown story. I, I probably didn't get it, but they called me and said, Hey, Byron, want to, you know, offer you this position and congratulate you. I jumped out of my seat, ran around and I was like, Oh my God, that's embarrassing. I shouldn't have done that. I should be, I was like, but I knew then, how important this role was, right? Sure. I knew what the trajectory of not just my career, but the ones that's coming behind me. So you think about two companies, one being as large as Jack Daniels and then Uncle Nearest coming together. I mean, it's awesome, right? So I get a chance to uh, do these things. And for instance, last night, standing in front of dignitaries, telling them about the Nearest and Jack advancement initiative, but that relationship that they have. Um, so the Leadership Acceleration Program, uh, when I was selected for that, I didn't know that it would encompass everything that I'm doing, right? So being able to learn from the, the, the forest all the way to the bottle. So learning everything about why we do what we do, um, the, this, uh, the distillery planning process. So not knowing, hey, when you guys see that bottle, there's a lot of planning that goes into that. Mm-hmm. How many barrels? How much corn we're going to do? How much malt we're going to buy? So it's a lot that goes into um, just getting that bottle. I didn't know that. I just made the barrel. Sure. Uh, but that leadership acceleration program has put me in places that I never would have thought. You go back and look in December, I was ringing the New York Stock Exchange with Brown Foreman, with the CEO. These wow. are things that... That's yeah. cool. Yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> very cool. I mean, there's some things that... Um, if you ever heard of Black Bourbon Society, I just sat down and did a recording mm-hmm. with Samara Davis. Okay. Yep. I mean, this is huge, right? Yeah. It's on jackdaniels.com. It's on YouTube. Cool. I mean, these are things that I never thought that I would be a part of. But awesome. for me, it's continuing that legacy. Yeah, um, That's a big part of the program. That's a big part of my job. Yes, I'm a distiller. Yes, I'm I'm those things, innovator. But then also, ha- for me, I have a bigger job. Sure. So. What's your that's favorite very cool. part of doing that job? Is it talking to people, spreading the good word? Um. It's multiple things, right? So to work for a brand such as Jack Daniels, um, I'm proud to to do that as well. So I'm proud to say, hey, I work for this brand that everybody knows, right? It's only a few brands that you could look at yeah. and people know what it is. So one, I'm proud of that, right? I'm proud of that story of Jack Daniels. Even before I knew, you know, totally about the nearest and the Jack story, I'm proud to work for this brand, right? Second, I'm proud to work for this brand because of that story, right? When you, you look at history and you go back to the 1800s, Jack and that Jack and nearest, that story is, it probably doesn't happen everywhere, right? You don't have this proprietor. You don't have this kid leaving at six or seven years old, going to learn how to make whiskey way far away from home. I mean, this is stuff that, you know, you just don't think about. So I'm proud to be able to tell that story as well. Um, the other fun part is, I said I made the barrels, but learning the whiskey aspect, the chemistry behind what's going in that barrel. I know what that barrel imparts, but being at the distillery, being around those people at the distillery, I mean, Lynchburg has accepted me. 
you know how hard it is to get accepted in Lynchburg if you're not from Lynchburg. <laughs> right. It is very tough, right? I'm, sure. I, I'm serious. It, it is it is tough. But being in that control room, looking at those distillers, going to the yeast room, learning the all the aspects of making whiskey, that's my favorite part. So Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That's our favorite part too, just learning. So all I want to do is learn. I like how you guys like check each other. Like you're doing fine. <laughs> no, I, I thought he was going to say he just loves working with me all the time. Uh, he no, hadn't gotten to that part yet. Apparently, no, no brownie points on that one. No, it's a uh, you know I don't know if he's checking, but we always just make eye contact. Like literally, it's 200 people we were talking to last night, and I'm like, all right, Chris, but but yeah. That's so um, I'm a I'm a lifelong I, I believe in education, right? Mm-hmm. So I never stop learning. That is that is who I am. So. Finish college, well, let's go to this next process. It's almost like I, I, I'm doing too much, so I want to get my MBA. And then I'm like, well, I might get my doctorate. So I, I never stop. That education process is, is huge. It's number one on my list. Um, but it's also bringing others along, so. It's important. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's big for me. So. So, if you, so, growing, so coming from where you started to where you are now, if somebody, say there's somebody's listening and they live in Lynchburg and they want to they come work at Jack Daniels, they want to be the next, you know, Master Stiller, or the guy that's running innovation or something, is it just purely you gotta you gotta apply and start working and work your way up? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah that's 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 one thing about Lynchburg. You know, we have this distillery and we, we employ now. You know, we're getting close to a thousand people, and uh, the population of our entire county is six thousand people, and that's obviously little kids and retired people, sure, and sure. everywhere in between. City proper Lynchburg is about six to seven hundred. So mm. for for every open position, we generally have w- yeah. way more applicants than <laughs> than positions. Let's just say that. So you know it is, and and the thing is, and like you know with with school, and I mean, sure, yeah, the chemistry background helps me. But I started working at the distillery in two thousand and one. You know, uh, part time. I was still in college in '03. I graduated. I went full time. I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. I worked for almost a decade in our R and D lab. Left the company, worked in another distillery for a while. Had a great time there, made made great friends and, and great great people there. And then I had the opportunity to come home and work for Jeff Arnett, who preceded me in this role. And you know, he called me one day and and basically said, "Hey, you know, I'd like for somebody to work directly with me and for me. And you know, you've been doing this for a while. You're from Lynchburg. Would you like to come home?" And um, so my wife and I moved back home for me. My wife is from Louisville, Kentucky, and so um, you know, I've been back now um, a little over nine years. So it's, um, it's, it's been all I've ever done. Um, you know, certainly Byron came in and, and was, look, it, he, again, he was being a little modest. He was the first person in Canada to go through this leadership acceleration program. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, taking people of color and putting them in a, in a role to where they get exposed then to all aspects of the business, because as Brian would tell you, it is underrepresented. In, in our industry, and it's unfortunate. So I know, and Byron has a lot of big goals um, that he wants to help move that needle and be impactful. Sure. And the great thing about Byron is you, you heard him just talk about the leg- legacy that he's going to leave for that next person that comes into this program. Yeah. He forged his own way through this program um, and pushed and has really made it what it is today. Right. So, um, you know, I, I can't, you know, tell you how important that is and how he's going to continue to. He's, he's already thinking about the next candidate because sure. it's time to go with candidate number mm-hmm. two, how the program's going to look, what worked, what doesn't work, how do we help it, how do, how do we make it better, how do we make it impactful. Um, and so that's some, that's some of the most important work that Byron does on, on top of his innovation stuff that he does as well. So one thing I'll tell you, if you don't know, right, you don't know about the whiskey industry, you don't know about the different things that's going on, Chris is a head distiller, a master distiller. You have distillers, but you also have finance. You also have accountants. Mm -hmm. You also have marketers. You also have the CEO who might have been an engineer, chemical engineering. There are things that we just don't know. So when people say, hey, how do you get into the whiskey industry? Most people, guess where you're going to go to? Oh, man, I want to be I want to be a cooper. I want to you know, I want to be a distiller. But my wife is a chemist. She didn't know that she could have been a chemist in the whiskey industry. Sure, sure. I mean, you don't know until you know, right? So when you're at these schools, I went to Morehouse College. I got to shout out my school. Go for it. So if you're in these, you're in these schools. Never did it dawn on me that we can be in the whiskey industry. Yeah. I mean, never. I didn't. Who thinks of that, right? 
Now, you know, some people say, yeah, I left and I went to work for Coca-Cola or, or these different companies. Sure. But there's hundreds of thousands of spirit companies. But if I'm at that college or I'm coming out and I'm looking for someone, if I don't know, I just don't know. So my job, I'm putting that on myself. I'm putting it on my shoulders. My job is to help others understand that there is jobs out there for us to get into. Yes, we're underrepresented. But if you don't know, you just don't know sure. to even apply for it. So right. mm-hmm. um, that's my job. though. So what's the future for Byron and Jack Daniels? What does the future hold? So um, when we just had the leadership acceleration program, so I'm the manager of that. So trying to pick that next uh, person that's going to follow, uh, follow behind me, but not just the leadership acceleration program. I, I, the nearest and Jack advancement initiative is three pillared. First is the business incubation, right? So you take a minority owned spirits company and you give them all the resources that Brown Foreman has and in the other case, uh, Uncle Nears, so they came together, and you're going to give them all those resources, whether it's uh, strategic planning, whether it's branding, any, any, all of that, and then you're going to give them that. So the first company was the Nord Spirits. They graduated when I graduated. We were walking on the airplane, and I saw, I said, wait a minute, that's the Nord, 50 milliliters on Delta. <laughs> so you think they never were there before. They yeah. wouldn't we wouldn't even known about them if they didn't go through this program. Yeah. Program is very important. So um, part of my job is going to be to sit on that board as well. The nearest and Jack advancement initiative, the entire program, but for the leadership acceleration program, that's my future right now. Hey, how do we get this next candidate? Chris talked about it. Um, I want to make it better than what it was for me. So that's my near future. Also, working on some things from an innovative side. Uh, that's always, that's my day to day. And Chris, he's out, he'll tell me, Hey, we don't need to do it right now. Just slow down. Back. It's, a, it's a funny <laughs> I thing. I that sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's like, I know we're going to get there. <laughs> he's like, we don't need that. We don't need that stuff right now. Just slow down. Uh, but yeah, so innovation, um, maturation, what's going on in that barrel. Mm-hmm. So that's my day to day. Also doing tastings. If you ever came down, and we can I'm do, coming. yeah, we can do a tour. So I do that. So doing uh, VIP tastings. Um, oh, doing I get tours. a VIP tasting. I'm definitely I coming say, down. Oh, absolutely. I would say you're a VIP. I'm 100% so, coming now. <laughs> but that, that's my day to day. And I can keep going on and on. But that, yeah, so awesome. That's, that's the future. Now, after that, you know, five to 10 years down the line, hopefully what I'm doing can um, lead to bringing others along. It's not just about me, I, I'll be okay. But if I can help make an imprint, an impact in this industry, that's yeah. my goal. That's a wonderful outlook. It is. I know you guys have a lot to do today, so I'm not going to keep you much longer. But I am going to take the last 10 minutes. I want to ask one personal question. Like, Uh-oh. Gus, close it out, and then I give you both, you know, <clears throat> as much time as you want to say anything else me. you he want. just check with me on that. We <laughs> Get me on the table. Wait, wait, wait. You ready? This is the most important question I have. All right. Number seven. I've heard that Jack Daniel had six, well... Jasper Newton Daniel had six girlfriends and his seventh was Jack Daniels. I've also heard that he was a gambler. Which of those two stories do you think is most likely true? Wait, his seventh was Jack Daniels? The seventh was the whiskey. Oh. Oh, that was okay. Seventh love was the whiskey. The seventh lover, yeah. That's that's an interesting question. I you know, the 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 girlfriends thing we know is true. Uh, Jack died a bachelor, he never married, never had any children. Um we have copies, our historian has copies of love letters that both he wrote and received from various friends, well, <laughs> ladies, no, ladies in no the No wonder Frank Sinatra liked this. Uh, right, right. <laughs> pretty, pretty amazing for a guy that stood five foot two what? Uh, and ended up losing his leg and after kicking the safe and That's having right. amputations done, yeah. you know. So um, pretty, pretty impressive, but a very successful businessman. So that probably helped, I guess, a little bit. Um, you know, I... I, I don't know if I would go on either one of those stories. I mean, I mean, may, I would I would say his gambling number would have been seven before that. But um, I'll tell you the story my granddad would tell you if he were here. That's what I want to hear. Yeah. Okay. So when my granddad was hired from the local grocery store in Lynchburg, so my great grandfather ran the Lynchburg grocery. It's called Bobo, Bobo and Sons. All right. My mom is a Bobo 
grandfather was a Bobo. So he grew up as a young boy working with his brother and his dad in this grocery store. And so he, he had been in Korean war. He had gotten married to my grandmother. They were at home. It was, you know, the fifties they had had it. My mom had come along. So now there's suddenly three full families working my brother or my grandfather, his brother and his father still in this grocery. And Mr. Regger Motlow, who was one of Lim Motlow's sons, his oldest son, he came into the store and had lunch every day, and he approached my grandfather one day. It was New Year's Day, 1957, and he said, Frog, and his nickname was Frog. Mm-hmm. Most people in Lynchburg have a nickname. Um, he said, you know, I've already spoken to your dad, and he's okay with it, but he said, you're, you, it was ultimately your decision. But we're looking for some help at the distillery, and we thought you might be interested. I'd like to offer you a job. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, sure, that sounds good to me. What do I need to do? He said, well, go on up there and tell Lim I sent you. So he literally just walked. It's like three blocks right, right from Lynchburg to the distillery. And he walked up to the still house and, and met with Lim Tolly and said, hey, Mr. Regger sent me. And, you know, from that point on, he was around in and around the Motlows and um, heard a lot of stories. I'm sure his story around old number seven came from the Motlow family. As he would say it, this occurred back in Jack's lifetime when he was sending everybody a barrel of whiskey. He And we do know he did not believe in bottles. My right. man. Yep. He thought, everybody, you want you want whiskey? I'm going to send you a barrel of whiskey. Right? <laughs> That's the way Jack rolled. He had his own saloons, his own bars in Lynchburg at the time. Yeah. Um, so he sent a barrel. And so um, he was sending a barrel of whiskey out west. And I think it was Oklahoma, Colorado, somewhere out west. And so they, they got it up to Nashville, put it on the rail. It gets to St. Louis, Missouri, where it had to change trains to hit the number seven train that took it from St. Louis out to let's just say Colorado for yeah. sake of story. And something happened and the, the people that were doing the inventory misplaced the barrel and it didn't make that train. So so Jack gets a letter from a, a very irate bartender who had ordered this barrel. It hadn't come in yet. And Jack says, you know what? I'm going to send you another barrel for free. This one's on me, on the house. So again, Nashville, St. Louis. St. Louis has to get that number seven train to go out to Colorado. Mm-hmm. The same workers unloading and doing the inventory here that wait a minute here's a here's a barrel of whiskey from lynchburg tennessee right i mean a barrel of whiskey looks like a barrel of whiskey you can't just look at a barrel and know where it's from so it jogged their memory wait a minute we had a barrel just the other day so now they start digging around they go back and they find where they had misplaced it so now there's two barrels of whiskey that look identical mm-hmm. from jack daniel distillery lynchburg tennessee both marked with a big number seven on them Right, because it, it needs it to go on number seven train. Number seven train, and so they were doing their paperwork. Well, how do we do the inventory? Well, this was the old one, and this one's the new one. And yeah. They sent both barrels. Both barrels get to the bar, and about a month later, the bartender writes a, another letter back to Jack, and he says, "I want to order a third barrel, but only from now on. I want old number seven. I don't want new number seven. The old number seven is the best." Wow. And so Jack decided, well, if that's so good, I'll make it all old number seven. <laughs> that's, that's a great, great story. story. So oh, that's, that's, story. A, yeah. that's what Papa says. That's as good as I can do. We're going how, with Papa. How well known is that story? <laughs> I, you know, it's part, it's part of the folklore. Um, you know, people talk about the number seven train. Um, some people say, too, like tax districts and whatnot. At one time, the distillery was in the number seven district, and then it moved out, and then, I, you know. Yeah, it went to, like, number 14 or 17, and – Jack was so stubborn, and he said, "No, I want to keep it number seven. <clears throat> yeah, mm-hmm. so that's part of that's another we, story. All these stories. Yeah. We, yeah. we I like teach the train one. Our, our whiskey classes. We teach. Um, we don't do a typical class. You know, we're not going to sit you down with a number of whiskeys and and tell you what you should be smelling, what you should be tasting. That's not. We we integrate and sort of intertwine uh, the the history of whiskey in America with the founding and growth of America because they. They happen in lockstep, you know, very much together. And that story is, I think, one that we'll probably add. Yeah. Because the the expansion out west uh, and the the, the, yeah. the role that whiskey played, you know, for preserving grain, uh, medicinal purposes, uh, you know, uh, just having something to drink, you know, after a long day on the Oregon Trail or whatever. I don't know. But you know <laughs> oh, what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like, yeah. um, we love those stories. And that uh, that, is a, that is a fantastic story. Yeah. I don't know. I have anything to add to that. I don't either. Anything you guys want to say? Close uh, this out. Yeah. So thank you all for having us. Um, oh yeah, our that pleasure. story wasn't that personal, but <laughs> we <laughs> thought you were coming with something different. But yeah, thank you for having us and uh, allowing us to share our story. Uh, again, anytime you want to come down to Jack, and even your listeners, you want to come down to Jack and see the process. 
we're very proud of our process. So you want to come down and see it, and yeah, um, we're, we're open. Chris, Chris share way more than me. You know, I, I say some things are proprietary, but you know, like the toasting of the barrels per se. But hey, he's got to hide that red hey, layer. Chris would say, "Come see that too." Come see it. <laughs> yeah, he's like open it up. You know, but, you do. You heat a barrel up on the inside. You know, I mean, you know how proprietary you get put it. Put a toaster in it. What do you yeah, do? Right? Yeah, but yeah, anything, man. Anytime anybody wants to come down, um, I'll be glad to show you around, Chris. We'll show you the yeast room. We'll show you the actual person who grows that yeast up. Who grows up those lactics and sends it sends it over to the distillery uh, right. weekly? So, um, but yeah, that's I'll, I'll end with that. You, I 100 percent agree. Yep, we'd love to have you there to show you. Uh, yeah. It's one thing to try to tell you and, and listen to this sure. you know, on a podcast. And um, so, for any listeners out there, you know, please come and and, and see us in Lynchburg. We'd love to to have you know anybody that's interested in making whiskey to come. You know, we didn't even talk about the fact that we make our own barrels. You know, we have our own Coopers. We have our own stave mill. They know that. We've talked about that yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty It's pretty cool to think about it, you know. and, and uh, It's really cool to own the process from beginning to end. It's, yeah. It mm-hmm. makes it, your supply chain issues are going to be very limited. It's, it just becomes a people issue. Um, and now with the White Oak Initiative and we're trying yes. to get the, the wood fixed, you know, uh, to preserve the future for that. But it's, yeah, you guys are doing yeah. it right. Oh, Brown Thank Farmer you. knows what they're doing. So Jack even Daniels the meals. So if you ever had a chance to see a mill operate, so somebody is sitting there grading those logs that's coming in there, right? Yeah, grading the logs, and then you have that process where that wood is going in and, and it's uh, cut, and and then it's it's seasoned there. Yep. Then mm-hmm. it goes to the cooperage. We season it there before we even send it in inside. So uh, that process, I love that process because I, I was too. sure, yeah, I did it for so long. But um, yeah, to own everything and that supply chain. And one of the only ones, if not the only one, that that has uh, a cooperage, the mills and those things. So very cool process, very cool supply chain. So mm-hmm. uh, if you wanted to see all that, I, I implore anybody, all your listeners to see that and um, see how it's done. So awesome. Very good. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for coming. I hope you enjoy your weekend at Seaweed. It's going to be a blast, especially getting uh, catered around like celebrities. It's going to be a good time. Uh, we're looking for we love I, I love Charleston it's one of my favorite cities on the planet so we're super excited to be here for seaweed and we'll cool. see you guys there yeah it's something good we'll see you around thank you guys for coming thanks Cheers. guys I appreciate it